Good morning, everyone. I hope you're doing well today. It is a beautiful Thursday morning in North Texas. It's going to be like 75 degrees today and sunny. So we are taking advantage of the good weather, and we are uh, recording on my back porch today, and we are going to do something that I'm very excited about. We are going to talk about the theology of O Holy Night. O Holy Night, one of the uh, very famous Christmas uh, Christmas songs that we sing every year, and um, or at least Vanessa sings it, and we all say, wow, she's really good. Uh, so we're going to talk about the theology of O Holy Night. Vanessa, our church musician, is with me today, and she's going to talk through us a little bit about the history of it, and then she's going to sing it uh, verse by verse, and we're going to talk through the theology of it. So if you weren't ready for Christmas yet, on this beautiful Thursday morning where it's sunny and 75 degrees, going to be 75 degrees today, we are going to take a look at O Holy Night, and we are all going to get in the Christmas spirit and uh, if you're listening to this later, we are thank- uh, thankful that you're checking in. And if we sound a little different, it's because we're wearing masks because we're within we're about six feet apart. But uh, uh, so Vanessa is here and she's going to tell us a little bit about the history of O Holy Night. Hello, everyone. And good morning. So if you didn't know any of the history of the song O Holy Night, it was the music was composed by a French composer named Adolf Adam, who was a music critic and a composer in the late 1800s, mid to late 1800s. And a American immigrant um, who was also a Unitarian minister and another music critic translated the original French to the English that we know and love today in America. So very popular. Um, It was... It was a hot uh, hot topic in the late 1800s, of course, was slavery. And the third verse mentions, Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother. That, those were pretty controversial words uh, and, you know, revolutionary ideas back then. And um, to make it into a song that we still sing today, I think, is very powerful. Um, so that's a little bit about the background of the words and the music. The music was also written because... There was a town in France, I'm reading this from an article, a town called Roquemar, and there was a church organ in in that city that had been renovated, and to celebrate the event, um, the the priest got a poet named Placide Capot to write a Christmas poem, and then soon after that, Adolf Adam wrote the music. So that's pretty interesting and very cool that it was to commemorate a church organ. Um, And it's uh, very classic. So, all right, here is the first verse. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appears and the soul felt its worth a thrill of hope the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn fall on your knees Oh, hear the 
was born on night divine on night on night divine so usually after she sings that on christmas eve i get up and give a sermon and it's always hard because i always get choked up because it's so beautiful and i thought today would be different but it's not so um Thank you for, for singing uh, that. And we're, she's going to sing. We're going to do this in three parts. So we'll do three verses and, um, uh, and then we'll uh, talk about the verses afterwards. So uh, if you're with us, say hello. Uh, let us know you're here. I see we have several people watching, so let us know you're here. Okay, so uh, I'm going to break the three things about this first verse. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Long lay the world in sin and error. I think we know about sin. I know that, you know, we talk about sin. We're sinners. The world is sinful. But I think what's important is the word, the word error. Long lay the world in sin and error. Uh, it's not just that we're, sin, that we're sinful. We, you know, we know the difference between right and wrong, and we choose wrong. That's part of life. But the word error, I think we should think about error. Uh, I grabbed a couple of verses. Micah 4, 11 through 12 now many nations are assembled against you, saying, Let her be profaned, and let our eyes gaze upon the Lord. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan, that he has gathered them as sheaves to the threshing floor. So that's uh, in reference to Israel as it was in exile. And, and the nations that come say, We have a plan, we're going to do this. But it, uh, um, Micah says, You do not know the thoughts of the Lord. You do not know the thoughts of the Lord. Matthew 22, verse 29, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. The Pharisees say, you know, this woman was married six times, seven times in heaven. Who is she going to belong to? And Jesus answered them, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. You do not know the Lord. The error of the world is that we do not know the Lord or that we think we know the Lord, but we don't really have a clue what God is like. We don't really have a clue how God thinks, how God loves, how God feels, what God wants. That is the error of the world is that God has a plan for humanity, and humanity says, you know, I, I, think, I, I think I have a better plan, and I'm going to go with that one. And I'm going to say, I'm going to say that my plan is your plan. I mean, that, that is the true sin of humanity, is to say to God, yeah, I know my plan isn't your plan, but I, my, I'm going to say that my plan is your plan. Uh, I, I think that's the big error. And then uh, the next line, the soul felt its worth. The soul felt its worth. First uh, John chapter four, verse nine through 10. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his son and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Verse 10. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The soul felt its worth for the first time. The soul understood how much God loved us. It's not that we love God. We don't build our lives on the fact that I love God. We build our lives on the fact that God loves us. And for the first time, we feel accepted as we are. We know that we are imperfect. We know that we can never be who God wants us to be as far as righteous and always do what is right. But yet God still loves us. And for the first time, we feel loved and accepted for being who we are. The soul felt its worth. The soul felt claimed as God's child. The soul for the first time understood what God was willing to do for the sake of, of us, of sinners. So the soul felt its worth. And then uh, the third part, the thrill of hope, the thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. I don't know about you, but, but I'm starting to feel weary. 2020 has been a year 
<laughs> I mean, we say that every year, man, that's been a year. Uh, and we feel weary. We feel ready for rest. We feel ready for, for something new. A weary world rejoices. Uh, I think about thrills. When in your life have you felt a thrill? For me, it was being 18 years old, just graduating from high school. The, the Detroit Red Wings were in the Stanley Cup finals, and we had tickets to go down to Joe Louis Arena, not to watch the game because the game was out of town. I think it was in Philadelphia. But we got to watch it at Joe Louis Arena with 20,000 Red Wings fans. We got to watch the Red Wings win the Stanley Cup. And the entire stadium erupted in joy. And it was such a thrill to be there with everybody to enjoy this victory. See, the thing is, though, if we're victorious, if we win, that means somebody else loses. The joy of hope, of the thrill of hope, Romans 15, verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The thing of this thrill of hope, it's hope for all people. There is no winners and losers. What God has done is for all people. And so we can all have the thrill of hope. We can all join in celebration together as if our team just won a championship. Uh, but our God has won something through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for all people so that we all know how much we're loved and so that we can all cling to the promise of eternal life. So we'll go to part two now. Vanessa, take it away. Led by the light of faith serenely beaming with glowing hearts by his cradle we stand. So led by light of a star sweetly gleaming, here came the wise man from the Orient land. The King of Kings lay thus in lonely manger in all our trials, born to be our friend. He Thank you. So that verse two, uh, led by the light of faith, serenely beaming, the led by the light of faith. I think that's an important part of what it means to be led in life by our faith. Uh, Psalm 119, 105 says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And yes, that is the old King James version, old English. Not a big fan of that, that version in many, most cases, but I just love that they hear, thy word is a lamp unto my feet. That we are guided by by our faith. Our faith should guide us in everything we do. Our faith should give us a light in the darkness. It should tell us what we should do, how we should be uh, in, in, in relationships with others. The, you know, it should prompt us to be kind and to help and uh, to, to be the light in the world. And so guided, led by light of faith. Then we have the story of the wise men coming from the Orient land. Uh, I don't know if you could get away with saying that today. Uh, but uh, the wise men, so just a little a little about the wise men. The, the story of the wise men is Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Uh, Matthew, instead of giving us the details of the nativity, instead of telling us about all the other things that Luke tells us, <clears throat> excuse me, tells us about, 
It, it, Matthew tells us about the wise men. And I think it's, a, it's an important point that Matthew is making that the world, the world uh, received Jesus knowing who he was while the, the, the leaders of Israel didn't. So they paid homage from afar, right? They came and they, they, they traveled from afar to pay homage to this newborn king while the rulers of Israel didn't want anything to do with him, right? Uh, we know that Herod tried to have him killed. Uh, so what the world saw, what the rulers of Israel didn't see. And so just a couple myths about the wise men. There were, uh, they weren't kings, right? The, the Old Testament says that kings would pay us, and so we call them kings, but they're not really kings. They're just more like astronomers. Uh, there were more than three of them. There was probably a great company of them. They weren't there for the birth. Uh, they came a couple weeks or a couple months later, uh, and they probably came in a group. Um, in the church year, they show up at Epiphany 12 days later, but uh, you know, it could have been months, could have been years later. It says that Jesus was a young boy. So uh, they were from the East. They were probably Jewish people. Jewish, they descended from Jewish people who were taken into exile and never returned. Uh, that's most likely... But uh, so there's the, the wise men. And then says he was born to be our friend in all our trials, born to be our friend. This is powerful. This is comforting. Uh, James 2, verse 23. And the scriptures was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God through faith. We become friends with Jesus. We become friends with God. Jesus came so that we would know that God looks upon us and says, you are my friend. So what is the biblical definition of a friend? This is where it gets great. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17. A friend loves at all time and a brother is born for adversity. A friend is someone who loves at all times. So God is someone who loves at all times. Jesus was born so that we would know that God looks upon us and says, you are my friend which means that God looks upon us and loves us at all times. So now we'll go to part three. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Change shall he break for the slave is a brother and in his name all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy in grateful chorus raise we let all within us praise his holy name. Christ is the Lord, oh praise him forever, his power and glory evermore proclaim, his power and glory I hope you're applauding along with me at home. That was absolutely beautiful. If you want to hear her sing it again, we might just do it on Christmas Eve. So big announcement right now. Vanessa is singing Oh Holy Night on Christmas Eve. Two services, five and seven, five o'clock outside, seven o'clock inside, live streamed right here. So, okay, 
Let's uh, talk about the theology here. Truly, he taught us to love one another. The Pharisees asked him, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40. Jesus says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your, and, and all your mind. That's the first. And the second is like it, verse 39. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love your neighbor as yourself. It says his law is love and his gospel is peace. His law is love. Uh, everything else hangs on this. So we ask, what is God like? What is God like? And what, what does God want us to do? Well, we are commanded to love one another. Surely God would not ask us to do something that God doesn't do, right? God would not ask us to do something that God is incapable of doing or that God is not interested in doing. So therefore we can say God has to be loving. If we say, what is the greatest commandment? And the Lord says, well, to love one another, that tells us about God. That tells us what God wants for us. And it tells us what God is like. God is loving. And so love one another. Um, if you don't want to love one another, that's fine. You don't have to love one another. But by not loving one another, you are saying, I do not want to follow Jesus. If you want to follow Jesus, the one thing, the most important thing you can do is to love others. Plain and simple, period, said and done. Don't know what else to say about that. Chains shall he break, for the slave is now our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. Galatians 3.28 There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for, all, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So the birth of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the death and resurrection of Jesus basically took all the social structures of the world and said, you are no longer relevant. You are no longer in charge. You still have these social stru structures, but in the kingdom of God, this is not the way it's going to be. There will not be one class on top of the other. There will not be slaves and free. There will not be separated by male and female, with male being more important than female. That is not the way it's going to be in the kingdom of God. We are all equal in God's kingdom. I mean, that, that is part of what it, the, Jesus is ushering into the world through his birth, through his death, through his resurrection. And this is the way it's going to be in all of eternity. I mean, it's just so important that we know that and hear that, that this is the way it's going to be in all of eternity. And then it says, let, it, let all within us praise his holy name. First uh, Corinthians 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So Paul says, whatever you might be doing, wherever you might be doing it, praise God, glorify God, do it all to the glory of God of God. It's, it, we, we praise God with our lives, with our lips, with everything we do, when we worship, when we live, when we love, in all the ways that we serve God, we praise God. And so let us learn to praise God with everything we do, uh, in every inch of our being, the, in our thoughts, in our desires, uh, and in the things that we think, say, and do. So, oh, holy night, what a wonderful song. Vanessa, thank you for being here to sing it for us. I, I know I got choked up a time or two. I actually love it when you sing this particular song and uh, hope you all enjoyed it. Thanks so much for being with us today. Hope you have a wonderful day and we'll close with a word of prayer. Good and gracious God, we thank you for coming to be among us, for the changes that it means for all of humanity and for the goodness that you are ushering in. Help us to love one another. Help us to see one another as beloved children of God. Help us to, uh, to be thrilled by our hope and to let that be the thing that changes us uh, each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, everybody. Have a great day. Stay safe. Thanks, Vanessa.